hello. Welcome, everyone. This is Wanda, the host of Salty Coffee Podcast. How's everyone doing today? It is Saturday, February 11th. You know what time it is. So I am Wanda, the host of Salty Coffee Podcast. For those that don't know, please make sure you visit www.saltycoffeepodcast.com where you'll get all of the information of what the podcast is all about. Tonight, we have the last episode for season four, and we're going to have a little conversation about Generation X versus Millennial, also known as Generation Y. And we're going to talk about why that Millennials, Generation Y, why they're named, uh, why the generations are named, who named them, and what does that mean, and is it relevant, what, what can we learn about it. But yeah, so today we picked a, a, a day because it is my birthday, so I'm also celebrating my birthday. And the person who I'm interviewing, who's having this episode with me, also happens to be my daughter, my youngest daughter. Hi, Lulu. Shonda, how are you? You got your mom listening? <laughs> the, so you're going to meet my daughter, my youngest daughter. So I don't know if I'm echoing, but sounds kind of loud. Um, but for those of you who are new, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For those of you who are new, um, please know that the Salty Coffee Podcast was created to empower, inspire, educate, and entertain for all topics related to relationships, finances, education, and definitely the workforce. And that's one of the things that I'm big about because my major, major was labor studies and my minor was urban studies. I had to switch it around a little bit more um, to make it my major into urban studies and my minor into labor studies. And my daughter and I had a good conversation about that. And so we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, the labor movement, how it's changed from generation to generation, and what and what does that mean? But I want to go over uh, season four, because we had a lot going on in season four. It started in October of 2022. And we always start with you know who? Hey, ladies. How y'all doing out there? I got something I want to say. So come on and pull up a chair and let's talk about these sorry men. Because 95% of them all talk no action. I had a guy that was chasing me down talking about what all he could do. So I took him up on his offer, y'all. Yeah, he whined and dined. Don't let these men fool you. <laughs> That's Miss Shelby, the diva of Southern Soul. We also had uh, the opportunity to bring um, Bamblish. Bamblish is a company that makes periods, uh, underwear periods, uh, four periods. 
I'm staying in bed thinking back on us and everything that went wrong. Never said goodbye, think I broke your trust, should've known this all along. Don't wanna be the one that you're trying to avoid. I'm feeling so confused, why did I act so annoyed? Cause I don't wanna be strangers, baby. The next time when we Yes, bamblish.com. Make sure you visit her page and get your, I actually use them. They're very, very good. And she also sells the cup and she sells the Bliss uh, period oil, cramp oil. It's really good. I haven't used it, but I heard good reviews, read reviews of them. We also um, introduce you to Xiomara Cabrera who was the dance instructor for the Ballet Florclorico uh, back in the 80s in Washington Heights, where I was a participant of a dance group called the Ballet Quisqueya. The founder was Normaldia Maldonado. And, and the last one that I want to talk about is Mar Maria Hernandez. Maria Hernandez wrote uh, Trapped. She also wrote Trapped 2. And she was the screenwriter and producer of Trap, the movie. And in her episode, we talked about a little bit about what she's doing now and where her um, book writing is going to go towards to. She is taking care of her brother who has autism. I think it's awesome that she took time to look at how the system works for adults with autism. And, you know, when you have a child with special uh, needs, it's important for you to know who will take care of them um, when you're gone. So it that episode really um, hit hard because here in New York City, I guess um, things have changed so drastically and so fast when it comes to keeping records of your education and your medical records. So I encourage you to watch that episode with Maria Hernandez. It was in October. And listen carefully to what she says and recommendations, um, her objective for the interview was that she's eventually going to uh, promote a book for people to know what to look for now when your children are young and what to expect later on and the do's and don'ts. I think that's important. We also um, have Crystal Harley. She came out with a wonderful ebook, uh, Entrepreneur in the Making a step-by-step -step guide to start your business. This book, ebook, is amazing. It's 75 plus pages, but it also includes a workbook within the ebook. And it's, it's really a self-affirmation and, and it's teaching you how to think about business more so than starting your business. But it does give you lots of, lots of links and resources on how to start the business. But I, I, I encourage you to go listen to Crystal Harley. If you Google 
Actually, she's on my website, www.saltycoffeepodcast.com. If you scroll all the way to the bottom, you'll see her uh, book link and you'll see her website link. And she has been providing free resources for many years now. And I think that this is the best book that I encourage you to get if you're thinking of running a business or if you're wanting to learn how to set your mind into your entrepreneurship um, relationship with yourself. <laughs> Visionary 126, um, also great body butter. Um, she's been doing great. I encourage you to go visit her website as well. And I think that's it for now. Um, this young lady who I'm introducing you to tonight happens to be my youngest daughter. Her name is Amber. And that is Amber, uh, my beautiful daughter, my youngest one. I have two. The other one is at work. And oh, man, she is a handful. She was uh, born in <laughs> <look at> her face. <laughs> she was born um, at a very special time, which is close to the ending of one generation and, and entering a new one. So as she says, she was born in the cusp of the millennials, <clears throat> also known as Generation Y. Um, but uh, her, her, I named her millennial, millennia because of that. And I think um, she's going to share with us what it means to be a millennial and, and how I think for the first time we had a couple of generations working together, whether that be in business or in the academic setting or in the workplace. Um, it's pretty interesting. I can tell you that I have worked with many generations within the 32 years that I've been working um, at Columbia University. But um, she's amazing. She's doing great things. Um, they both are. And she did send me her bio, but I'm going to let her introduce herself to you so that we can start. Hi, Amber. Hi, everybody. <laughs> How you doing, baby girl? I'm doing very well. I'm very well rested. I've had a long week, but like just getting things sorted out at my new job. 
Um, but this is the job that I've kind of always wanted. So it's not something that like I'm not prepared for. Okay. So tell us a little bit about you. Like, where were you born? Not details um, like you had mentioned earlier, but give, give the audience who doesn't know you, because um, I think they know me. I think they know I'm, I'm always saying I'm from, the, from New York. Mm -hmm. um, but, but tell us your um, bio. Like, tell us where you're from and what, what, what did you, you know, what did you do? What did you, uh, you can tell us where you're from and then I'll ask you some questions. Okay, um, so I believe I was born and raised in Manhattan until I was seven, and I moved to the Bronx when I was, I think, at seven, and then I stayed in east-western side of the Bronx, and then moved to the South Bronx when I was, like, 14. Um, I went to a technology school, which I feel like kind of set the foundation of where I was going to be going in my life, um, just because it taught me a lot about the stock market, taught me a lot about entrepreneurship. Um, so I went to Intech Academy. And then from there, I graduated in 2014. And I went to Marymount, Manhattan, and I was a commuter for about a year. Um, that experience kind of just taught me like, life, like having to wake up at 6 a.m., take a two-hour train, and then be in school all day and just like hustling for like what I want. But I just realized that that school was just not for me. It was very artsy, very like drama and dancing, and that just wasn't the field that I wanted to get into, which is ironic because I actually thought I was going to Marymount Manhattan for business but they changed my major to psychology, um, which was my second option. And that's kind of the path that I've gone towards. After a year, I went to SUNY Old Westbury. Um, I, none of my credits from Marymount Manhattan actually transferred. So I got lucky and graduated in SUNY Old Westbury in three years compared to four. Um, and I graduated with a BA in psychology and a minor in media and design um, with a 3.5 GPA. And during my collegiate career, I did residential assistance. I was a desk attendant. I was an intern for a residential director. And from there, that kind of showed me the path where I needed to be, which was in higher education, which is ironic because my mom has been working in higher education <laughs> for about 30 years. Um, so I didn't even see that from her aspect. I kind of just saw it from where I, from my college and my school and seeing like the ins and outs and how I can impact students in a psychological way. Um, but the road to this job that I have now was not like an easy one. Um, I graduated not knowing what the fuck I wanted to do, where I wanted to go, if I wanted to go to grad school, if I wanted to work. Um, and that journey kind of, I felt like a failure in a lot of aspects of my life. Um, I did at, at what age? What age did you like? When I graduated. Oh, okay. So as soon as I graduated, I had no plans. I was just like, I'm just gonna go back home and figure things out. I'll just get a job. Like things will be easy. You know, you get your bachelor's and you get a job right after that. And that's not how life works. Um, so I went to bartending school, became a bartender and I got fired. 
And then my sister got me a job at a pet store, worked there for two years, made little money, but still was managing to pay all my bills. And from there, I got the opportunity to work for a veterinary hospital in Westchester, um, which pretty much changed my life and my perspective on my work ethic and what I'm capable of. Um, and shout out to the best manager ever, Keisha. She was my manager for two years and she was just like my anchor for everything and just trying to push me through, especially cause I was going through relationship troubles and a breakup, all that fun stuff in life. And after being in that vet practice for about two years, I realized that, and also breaking up with my boyfriend and moving back home um, with my mother and my sister, <laughs> I realized that I need to go for my dreams, whatever that looks like, and just be fearless. So from there, I just was looking for jobs literally day and night after I worked like a five, 10, 10 hour, 12 hour shift. I was just looking for jobs that I really wanted. And even if it wasn't in New York, I was okay with that, um, which led me to a job opportunity in North Carolina. Um, I work for the oldest women's college, um, which was founded in 1772. Um, and it's a historically women's college, but as of right now, we are transitioning for non-binary students as well as transgender students. Um, so we just don't host women's in, in the campus as of right now. Um, but this led me to my position as an area coordinator. Uh, and my main functions is pretty much just mentoring RAs, mentoring the residents that live here, um, just being a force of just positivity and making sure that they graduate on time. I work with an amazing student affairs team that we literally watch these students every move and what they do and we make sure that they handle what they need to handle, which is pretty impressive. Um, and I'm just a promoter of just positivity and just empathy to these kids. So that's what led me to my glorious journey of getting this position. So going back into Generation X, which is me, um, what do you see between your generation and my generation that you believe you could have learned from me into like what okay the first question would be what did you see was missing from my generation to help you find that you know loop of not knowing what to do like you did everything on your own yeah pretty much the only thing i did was put you in the school <laughs> yeah. like literally that's all i did um, and I appreciate that you both, you know, picked your own. I, I, let me let me let you answer the first question, which is, what do what do you think you were missing? So, I just want to say, like, with my parents, I learned two different things. So I think that I get my work ethic from you. Um, just getting up every day and just doing what I need to do. And shout out to Karina, who's my friend um, that I worked with in my vet practice. But we talk about this all the time, how this generation doesn't like to work and how our parents literally, no matter what, rain or shine, you are showing up to work. That's what you do. Like you don't slack. 
So my work ethic came from just seeing you waking up every morning, even if you were tired as hell and didn't want to go anywhere, you still just got up and did what you had to do. So I got that aspect from you. Um, from my father, my father's a very simple man, um, but he definitely taught me about financial literacy, which was extremely important. And to all the parents that are listening and, you know, um, paying attention to this podcast, I advise you to take this advice as well for your children, um, just because I got very lucky. Uh, my father actually was starting my credit at the age of two. So when I was in college, I had a 680 credit. I didn't know that everyone didn't have that. I thought everyone started out in 680, um, which is not true. A lot of people who graduate college don't have that experience. Um, or even that opportunity. So my credit has been exceptional for people my age. And I have a lot of friends who are struggling with credit building as of right now. Um, so I got very, very lucky with having a father who taught me about financial literacy, who taught me about money management. Um, if you open up a credit card, make sure you have money to cover it. Like I had that implemented in me. And I encourage all parents to do that for your kids just because when you're in college and you know nothing about money, you know, not, like all your parents did everything for you. I got to open up a credit card with a $3,000 limit. A lot of people don't get that opportunity when they graduate college or are, or are in college. Um, so I encourage all parents to do that. Um, to answer a question, I think the one thing that I think your generation lacked and it's not really your fault um, or like, you know, my father's fault, whatever, or your generation's fault, um, just emotional support, right? I think your generation was taught to just hold everything in. Like there's no outlet, you know, you don't, you don't go to nobody. You don't talk to nobody. You don't tell nobody what's going on in the house. That's the implication that a lot of Caribbean and black cultures do is, you don't say what's going on in the house, which I think is extremely detrimental to my generation's health, mental health especially, because we're just like, well, we're told this, but I feel like this, and I feel like I'm gonna explode. And I think because we're exposed to social media now and everyone can talk about everything so freely, it's like, oh, you experienced that? Oh, your mom did that to you? That's crazy, we experienced trauma. Let's just trauma bond. like. That's kind of what we're experiencing now, where it's like a lot of parents who are Generation X did not know how to be emotionally supportive because you were just taught to work. You were just taught to provide for the family. And I think providing for the family is beneficial, but what about the emotional support of your children? You kind of bring children into the world and you can't even help them because you have to struggle and provide for them. So we miss that. And a lot of my friends are still trying to figure out like, how do I communicate with people? How do I talk to people? How do I, you know, have a love life that's healthy? Like, I don't know what that looks like. Cause like my parents were to, weren't together. Um, but I've always had like the conscious understanding that my parents weren't meant to be together. So the divorce wasn't like that detrimental to me. It was just more so of the divide that was just there was no communication going on. So I think that's what was lacked in your generation. 
So when when and thank you for that because um, I think it is true. I think we're very. I know for me, I'm very emotionally detached. You, you know it. <laughs> I don't really speak too much um, or share a lot. But um, that's a good point, and that's a good um, observation for parents and for the new generation. What will you do different for your children? Um, I don't want kids. <laughs> <laughs> don't want don't these kids. That. <laughs> no, I don't. It's really fuck these kids. Like. Okay. I don't want kids. Um, and I think because your generation had kids so young, like I think there was a study, and I can't even reference it right now. Um, there was a study that back in the day, people were getting married and having kids at the age of 21. Now it's like 2030. Um, and really my goal in life is to be a trauma hood, a child, trauma therapist um, and I want to get my master's specifically in the HBCU and I want to get money and I like money and I like traveling and I like doing whatever I want to do. I like leaving when I want to leave. I like to go places. I like to try new restaurants. Not saying that you can't do that with kids. I'm just saying that for me, I'm not in the emotional or financial place to have a child. So why would I bring a child into this world where I'm just gonna repeat the cycle of doing that to them? You know, I understood what that was like for me as a child and I don't blame anybody for it um, because I understood that, you know, you had to do what you had to do, especially because we were in a single mother household. Um, I understand that now as an adult and because I understand that I don't want kids right now. Um, Oh, okay. You said right now. Okay, so that I feel better. Never. Probably <laughs> never. Okay. okay. Want kids, yeah. <laughs> um uh, what what when was it that you learned? Because I totally recall when you started school, it was during um September eleven. When do you remember technology? Like what was your first experience with technology? I remember my first experience with technology was probably maybe in the fourth grade. And we had the big bulky Mac computers, monitors in school. Um, but before that we had like these little, like not, I wouldn't say a tablet, but they were just like a box with um, <laughs> just like typing stuff. I can't even, Put words together. Yeah, this is um, from Muscoda. The Muscoda. This is from Muscoda. Yes, um, and that was like my first introduction to technology, especially like playing games on a computer. And we were fortunate enough to have a computer in the house too. So I knew about like at back in the day, not to date myself, but we would have CDs that would have games on it and. My mother would always get hooked on phonics for me because I'm shitty at English. Um, and still to this day, I, I'm terrible at English. Um, but you would get a CD that would have a game on it. You put it into the, the computer and you would play like that. So that was my intro to technology. Um, and during that evolution, like, you know, my mom would get a laptop. And in school, I would see laptops. 
And because I went to a technology school, we had all we had was Mac laptops provided for us. So I've always seen like the evolution of technology, not like dated to beepers and stuff, but I did have like a flip phone. And my first phone was like a razor, I think at like fifth or fourth grade. Um, and I've seen the evolution of what a phone looks like and a computer would look like. I can't even imagine not having these things now, but like, I also would never want my kids to just have an iPad on ready all the time, which I see now that kids just have iPads. So yeah, how do you how do you recall um, the library? Like, was your library a book? Was it um, tech ebooks? Like, did you have ebooks at that time? Yeah, no. No, you if you needed a book. You needed to go to the library. I remember going to our public library and they would have programs um, after school and they would make us read. But like there was no ebooks, there was nothing like that. Like you had to get the Real physical book. book. Yeah. And that was even up until like college. Like until I went to college, they, they, we weren't provided ebooks. What do you feel about the generation now removing books? important books from schools, the the whole band of books and stuff like that. Are you referring to like black history books? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's disgusting. Um, I think it's unfortunate that we live in a society in a country that feels like black history is not important enough to be, you know, distributed or discussed in schools. Um, because it's such a pivotal part to how this country even came about. Um, I think it is interesting uh, that they are doing something like that just because it's like, what is the motive? What are you really trying to do? What are you really trying to hide? Um, Is it trying to protect white people's feelings? Um, If that's the case, then who cares? Like, not to sound like an asshole, but like, history is history. And... America has this issue where history constantly repeats itself. So why would we even erase something like that? Why would we try to destroy something that is not only pivotal to our knowledge of ourselves and our history, but like to the black community? You know, I think a lot of black children, especially impoverished areas, need to know how important black history is, need to know how important they are as people. Um, And I think the removal of that just shows how America could care less. So if if that's how you see it, Mm. where do you see the um, educational part going? Like, I think you and I spoke about the labor movement and where it's going. Cause you, you, you kept saying, why would I talk about what I do? <laughs> and then I said, I want, I want to incorporate because my degree was in urban and labor studies. I wanted to incorporate the generation X, which you mentioned, we're like the hard workers. That's all we knew. <laughs> and do, do you correlate the, the educational part being constructed for us to work and to continue to be workers. And where do you see that moving now? Like we had the jobs to create jobs, right? 
Mm. So the industrial revolution is gone. We're not really making anything, producing anything. Most of the jobs are what? Education, finance, and medical? Yeah. Yeah, technology. But within technology, um, we still have like everything. Everything is incorporated in technology. Where do you see your generation moving towards? Like what what would be, if if you have students that are graduating, let's say 800 graduate, graduating seniors, and you yourself experience not having work immediately after graduating, what, what part is missing in these academic institutions that are not giving you the, the real resources of where you're gonna work after you graduate? To simplify that question, so let me ask you, when you applied for Columbia, how did you apply? Whew, so, um, in 1990, um, there was no technology. It was word of mouth. And then you applied. Um, we had to take uh, typing exams. We had to take comprehensive exams. We had to take math, depending on the position. Um, if we got called in for an interview, we had to dress appropriately. We had to come in with a resume, a couple copies, uh, cover letters with references letters. I mean, this was all how we did in 1990. Right. But depending on the position, we had to like, but the jobs that were available for, for my generation at that time, we were being prepared. So like we were getting typing. Um, and when I was in middle school, I was getting typing, you know, classes. Mm -hmm. um, we had the, when I was in middle school, we had the old typewriters, the clack, 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 not electronic ones, right? And with that said, we had to learn how to margin. We had to do the margins. We had to learn how to do everything that you do, like automatically, like if you center something, you want to center, you center. We had to literally do the math for centering something. So we had to like take the, the title, cut it down into two, whatever, because the margins were always 30, 80 for a letter. Um, and I think that's the difference between your generation and my generation. For my generation, we had to like do it from the foundation of it mm -hmm. to like, that's probably why I'm still good with technology because I already knew how to, how it worked before the programming of it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we had to like go in person, apply and wait <laughs> and wait to get a phone call. So my generation, when I graduated college and we're talking about pre COVID cause COVID is a, a main factor of why people are the way they are now. Cause there's a drastic change in the way higher education was then and the way it are where it is now, and I can elaborate on that later, but the reason I asked you that is because you learn the foundational stuff, but at the end of the day, it's about resource. You had to actually go to the job and physically go there. You had to have resources to get good clothes. You had to have resources to get transportation there. Everything is online now. So, Let's say I'm applying for the job that I got now. 
I found this job on HigherEd.com, but this job application was also on ZipRecruiter, Indeed. It was also on the website. It was on 10 different outlets. So not only am I competing with people that were applying on higher ed, I'm competing with people that are on ZipRecruiter, which are thousands of people. I'm competing with people that are on Indeed, which is a thousands of people. I'm competing with a, like bigger pools of people. And that's the difference between my generation and your generation where the good thing is we have access to so many resources and we have access to so many things. But with those resources comes a downfall. You had to compete with whoever could dress up and show up to that job. I have to compete with 10,000 other different people that are competing with this job. How can I get it? And now jobs are not even going through the paperwork anymore. Like the, there's not a person that's sitting there and looking through thousands of resumes and cover letters. They don't have time for that. There's actually technology that can filter through resumes so they could just drop people and be like, you're just not picked. How do you compete with that? What do you, like, if no one knows about this information, what do you do? You suffer. You suffer because you don't have the knowledge or the resources to know that not only is your resume not good enough, we're not gonna tell you why it's not good enough. You're just gonna have to figure out that our AI technology told us that you're not good enough. That's heartbreaking. That means I have to work twice as hard or do twice as much research as the average person because I have to compete with thousands of people in different pools. So, and I say that, you know, this goes back to what I was referencing as to work ethic. So in my vet practice, we had a very low retention rate, which means that a lot of people did not want to be a receptionist. And a lot of people would just quit. I've seen people show up with sandals. I've seen people show up with, you know, a shirt and jeans. And this is a receptionist position. I was taught and I was taught by you and I was also taught by, you know, in my college, when you go to an interview, you dress up, you dress up nice, you make sure that it's ironed, you make sure that it, anything that you have imperfections, you go to the bathroom, you fix yourself up, you show up 15 minutes prior to the interview. Like These are interview etiquettes that you're not going to learn from a hole in a wall. Like you have to have some type of connection to know these things. Um, and a lot of people this day and age don't know that you have to do these things. Like these are how you get jobs, which would mean that a lot of these kids and you know younger generations are not gonna find the jobs that they want. So what are they gonna do? They're gonna be, they want to be self-employed. When you're self-employed, that comes with a lot of things. You need to get an LLC. You need to do like a lot of foundational stuff that you're not gonna learn through just school. Like you're gonna find that on Instagram. You're gonna find that on TikTok. Now I see on social media that they're trying to, you know, find easy ways to get money. And I think that's where the workforce is going towards now, where it's what is the quickest way that I can just get money so I don't have to work for somebody. I think that's where we're headed to in the next generations, where people are gonna want to work for themselves, have their own business, 
but to have your own business and work for yourself comes with work ethic that you learn for working under someone. You learn that from either going to school. You have to learn foundational things. And I think a lot of this generation thinks that quick money, you get money like this. I get $10,000 from Amazon, you know, sitting in my couch. Like <laughs> that's just not how life works. But I think a lot of these kids are in their own bubble where it's like, I can just work for myself. I don't need to work for under somebody. I don't need to be in college. I can just do TikTok and I can make thousands of dollars. Um, but a lot of people don't know that technology is actually going down. Um, a lot of sites are having low retention issues as well. Google just laid off 25,000 people. Spotify just laid off thousands of people. So what are you really doing? Where are you really going? And you need to find certain positions that have high retention rates. Um, for instance, higher education. Everyone's going to want an education at some point. So you work at a college. It makes sense. Technology is continuously growing. So you work at a technology company, things like that. Um, but healthcare. Huh? Healthcare. Hospitals, yeah. Exactly. Hospitals, yeah. Um, so these types of positions are constantly going to be sticking around. And I think a lot of these kids say that they want to start these things. I know people that have biz businesses right now, they don't even know the benefits of their business. Like a lot of people don't know that if you have an LLC, you can rent out a car and then write it off on your taxes. Why are you paying out of pocket for anything? A lot of people don't know these logistics because they don't care to do their research. They think that, I, oh, all I have to do is have an LLC and I'll just write things off my off, off my taxes. But there's, I think in the future, what they're going to do is make things harder. So when you do have an LLC, not only do you have to record it, but you're probably going to have to change some things around so you can give the America more money, pretty much. Where, where do you remember... When, when you were in school, did you have a teacher that pops out? Did you have like a favorite teacher that pops out at all? I did have one teacher in high school. I actually had two teachers that pop out in my mind that taught me not only just like life lessons, but really just how to function within life. I think my first teacher, actually it was three teachers. So it was, it was my sixth grade math teacher. I can't remember her name, um, but she taught us about the stock market. So in the sixth grade, I was learning about stocks. I was learning about mon money budgeting. And a lot of people don't learn that in the sixth grade. Like you don't learn those types of things. And I got no. to go to a technology school. Um, so I was learning about stock market and I got really good at it. And I loved it. Um, another teacher that I had was, I can't remember, Miss Delgado. She was another math teacher because I, I just enjoy math. Miss um, Delgado was like, you know, take out financial aid. You can always pay things off in the future. Go to college. I, she actually gave me an internship when I was in high school that I put on my resume um, so I can apply for colleges. 
and she always gave me a reference. Um, so she was like a very big, impactful person that was always just like, you can do it. You can go to college. You are extremely smart. And I've always been in um, classes that were considered like not smart or like not honors, which I never understood why, but like, I kind of get it because I went to a charter school for elementary school, which kind of fucked me up, but it taught me like life lessons. Um, but I was always considered like the dumb class. Um, but my teachers always saw that I was actually extremely smart and they never understood why I was put in those classes. And even if I was put in those classes, I never thought of it as like, oh, what's wrong with me? I just thought of it as like, okay, I'm just gonna work twice as hard. I'm just gonna show people that like, you're just not gonna call me stupid. Like you, you just can't do that because my grades don't don't show that I'm getting A's and B's. So try to prove me wrong is always been like my outlook on life. Um, and then there was another teacher named Mr. Crow. He was actually a lawyer, and he was my history teacher. And he actually started teaching in the Bronx um, because he thought that inner city students needed the encouragement that a lot of higher up schools were doing for students, but because we were in the Bronx, they looked at us as like we were less than. Um, so he was, he literally quit his lawyering job, became a history teacher. And if you failed his test, he would staple a McDonald's um, application on your test. So if you didn't want to look like an idiot and apply for McDonald's, you wanted to make sure you got a hundred. And that always pushed me to like keep going and keep doing what I needed to do because I just didn't want to look like an idiot. Um, but those are like my three main teachers that did impact me. I didn't really have anybody when I went to college, um, but I think more so like when I went into the workforce, I, I got more encouragement in life than I did in like schools. Within your family and friends, who's the most inspirational and why? My family and friends. Oh, okay. You want to do family <laughs> first and then you can do your friends? Um, who's the most inspirational? Because sometimes you, you can have friends that you already consider your family. Right. You know, so you can add someone there. I'm not really too inspired by anybody in my family. Maybe like Dina. Like I have an aunt named Dina who she reminds me of myself in a lot of ways, especially when I talk to her. I'm like, damn, I get a lot of my ideas from you. Um, I know like my sister has been like one of my biggest driving forces because I just want my sister to be great. And I know my sister has the potential to be greater even if she doesn't see it now. But like, she's always been like my my solid foundation, even though she gets on my nerves. <laughs> and I don't like Sagittarius's. I'm just gonna put that out there. You two have a great relationship though. Yeah. I really do admire your relationship. Um, she's, she's, my sister's dope. My sister's really dope, although she, she gets on my nerves. But She's always been like that. Okay, I, I want to push forward because I want to show her like things are can be greater in life. I want to show you like I want to be a millionaire so I could just take my sister and you know show her lavish things. Like that's always been like my dream in my head. Um, 
uh, my friend Khalif, um, Khalif Shaq Metellus. Hi, Khalif. He, he does wigs. And when I first met him, his he literally showed up to Old Westbury with a bonnet, <laughs> patting his head, with an attitude. And I was just like, what is wrong with you? He's just like, I just want to know where my room is at. I'm like, oh my God, like relax. This is at the new job? No, this was at college. This oh, okay. was my last semester in college. Oh, that's where you met? That's where I met Khalif. Yeah. And he would tell me that he had a wig business. Um, and he said- Was he wigs. at your graduation? He was not at my graduation. He couldn't okay. make it. Um, but he was telling me about like his wigs. And I was like, I like that. Like, I like being around people that are driven. Like that drives me to be greater. Um, and we're still friends to this day. And he, he would always just follow me around. And he was like my little son in college, which was funny. Um, another person who inspired me is um, my friend Jabari. He was an RA and we would talk about like being a residential director in the future. Um, and he actually has a good job now in Long Island, uh, but he's also like someone that's like impacted where I wanna be in life as well. So those like a few friends that like really drove me to like be greater and be and do better. What do you think are the pros and cons for my generation when it comes to um, raising children? You know, like what? Why is it so heartfelt for you? To see, to say that you don't want any children, um, what what are the pros of having children today, and what would be the cons? The pros. I know a lot of people that I graduated with that have kids. Some have two now. I don't know how they function, and God bless them. I think kids are a blessing. I know Khalif wants a child like soon. Um, I guess the pros is just being better than what their parents were to them. Um, showing like unconditional love, showing like just raising something that <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like Remy. I mean, yeah, like, you know, but you can always get, like, a dog. Like, a dog is always going to be loyal to you. Yeah. Um, but with children, I think being a parent is, a, um, as my friend said, a thankless job. Um, being a parent is probably one of the hardest jobs that doesn't even get recognition except when you get your taxes. I think that's the biggest pro of being a parent because those taxes hit different than someone who is single and have no kids. I don't get jack from Uncle Sam, but let someone who have three, five kids, thousands just in their pot, like it's crazy. That's the biggest pro, I would say, is the money that you get from taxes. I would see that, I could see that. Um, the cons of raising a kid today is social media, um, people constantly compare themselves no matter how hard you try it. Um, I'm not really a big social media person. So my algorithm is literally tailored to 
how I feel and how I think. Um, just constantly giving me positive affirmations literally every day. I don't follow a lot of celebrities because I just realized that it was just a high expectation that I couldn't fulfill in my regular, regular life. So why am I going to follow someone and like all their stuff and not get paid for it? It just didn't make sense to me. Right. Um, so social media, because they have to see like what's going on in the world and they realize that the world is shit. Um, there's a lot going on, you know, global warming, black people getting shot by police. You know, you have to see that. Um, you know, women getting violated. Like if you have a daughter, you constantly need to make sure that she's okay, make sure that she's mentally stable make sure that she has an understanding of what life is like trying to find a relationship with a man, make sure she's not in an abusive relationship. Um, it's just a lot of things that you need to make sure that this human can survive from that I just don't have time for. <laughs> so I think the cons is just constantly trying to not shield them away from the world because I don't think I was ever really shielded from the world. I think my parents always was very realistic with me about like what's out there and what could happen to you, which instilled a lot of fear, which is why I didn't really want to go out like that because like the world is scary. Like it's not rainbows and roses until you get money and you can travel and see the world as rainbows and roses. But until then you're stuck in whatever city that you're in and you have to see how poverty you're actually living in. And I think that was one of my driving forces to be greater and be better was taking the bus every day and seeing how comfortable people were. Like being in the Bronx and going to the South Bronx and being on the one bus and taking 45 minute bus rides and seeing people get angry and be belligerent and go outside and go to the pumps and swim in pump water and be in the streets and swim in street water and just how comfortable and complacent they were in their environment. I know that I wanted something better. I know I can have something greater. So that is what drove me to leave and be better. And it might come across as conceited and it might come across as like, you're better than you know people in, where you're from. And it's like, I don't think that I'm better than anybody in this world, um, but I know that I'm, I'm not comfortable where I was at, which was in the Bronx. And it didn't fit where I saw where my life was gonna be. So I think that the best thing that you can do when you don't fit in your environment is to remove yourself. Do you think um, as a parent, we did a good job in teaching teaching you that? Like, let's say, we did live in a good neighborhood in the suburbs. Do you think you would have been the same person? I don't think I would have been the same person. I definitely am grateful of where I grew up. Um, although I said all those things that I saw and I hated. <laughs> um, I was grateful enough to have parents who sh showed me like, my father did not want me to be outside playing in the prom. So he took me to Westchester to go to Bear Mountain and swim in this big pool. He was like, I'm not gonna have my kids not see like how luxurious 
this pool is. Um, I had a mother who constantly showed me traveling. Like we went to the Bahamas, we went to Las Vegas, we went to Paris, we went to, like I've, I've been exposed to a lot of things that a lot of my friends could not say that they've been exposed to, um, which has taught me a lot, especially like traveling now as an adult. And I see my friends who've never traveled before and they have no travel etiquette. Like when I was traveling with my mom was like, come on, Amber, speed up. I'm walking, I'm walk like if, my mom was leaving, I had to follow her and I knew I had to follow her and I that was that. It was like, I was gonna lose her. So a lot of my friends have no experience in that. So they travel and then they just chill in the hotel. If I were to chill in the hotel with my mom, she would blow up. It would be like, why did I spend all this money for you to come here to just be in the hotel? Get your ass up and go. And I was fortunate enough to have those experiences. So whenever I travel, I know that I'm gonna experience everything that I wanna experience in a timely manner. I know that I need to budget myself. I know that like, I only have a limited time, so let me time out my days and what I'm gonna do in that day. Um, and living in the Bronx just taught me how to have like a tough exterior. Like, you know, there's crackheads outside, be ready like to just speed walk, don't show nobody attention. When you take the train, make sure you have like make sure you have your keys out. Like be always prepared, um, especially as a female. Like you never know what's gonna happen to you. Um, so I'm grateful that I got to the exposure of being humbled enough to be in the eastern western side of the Bronx, which was kind of more upper upper scale, um, to go into the South Bronx, which was like very impoverished. Um, and just having that dynamic and seeing the duality of, of it all. And I'm very grateful to have those experiences because it's toughened me up. It's built me up to be where I'm at. And if I were to grow up in the suburbs, I don't think I would have this tough exterior or I'd, I'd probably be very relaxed. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Do you see, do you recognize anything from the baby boomer generation? Um, have you worked with different generations? Like where you're at now, do you see your more of your generation working in this place? Or do you see baby boomer generation? And how is it working with people, um, probably Generation X with the millennials? Um, it's funny because my boss is very young, like very close to my age. Um, and so is my coworker. Um, and the student affairs team is not too like, they're like in their thirties, not even close to forties. Um, so everyone here is pretty young. Um, because I'm in an older college, we do have boomers who still support the campus, um, who do donate to the campus as well. And one thing that I did learn was you do need to accommodate for them. And a lot of these boomers, they don't know what they, them are. They don't know what non-binary, they don't know what a transgender kid is. That's not in their realm. That's not in their frame of mind. Um, and I've, I've heard some of the students like talk about it, like, 
you know, how can you come to this campus and not know these things? Or like, they, this person disrespected me because they didn't call me they, they called me she, and I go by they. Um, so things like that were, I've experienced and I've seen. Um, and it's interesting to me because I had to like break it down to them. Like, listen, in the unfortunately, in the real world, you are gonna have people that do not know what this world is like. You're gonna have people that do not know those pronouns. That's that's never been in their vocabulary. So for, to expect them to just accommodate for you is extremely hard. And that's not to um, make any exceptions for you know disrespecting anybody or right. make any exceptions for like how they go about things. It's just be understanding that you have to teach people. I think that's something that a lot of people lack is like, you can't just expect people to know things, especially I'm very young and I still struggle with saying they and them. That's never been in my mind. That's never been in my world. So I'm still learning that as well, even at the age of 26. So I can only imagine someone who's 60, who's <laughs> never heard of that. That's not even like a real thing. Um, so you just need to educate people. You just need to tell people like, this is how I'm comfortable with, this is what I would prefer. And you make them make that choice. And you have the choice to not associate yourself if you don't feel comfortable the way they talk to you or if you feel disrespected. Um, from my knowledge, uh, I had a coworker who goes by they, them. And I actually had to ask her, I was like, why do you call yourself that? Um, just because why don't you feel like you're a she? Like you look like a she, you're presented as a she. Why can't you just call yourself that? And she broke it down to me in, in the most simplest way of just like, you know, every day that I wake up, I look in the mirror, I just don't feel like a she. I don't feel feminine. I don't like the way I look. I prefer them because it gives me leeway of what I can be and how I feel. And I resonated with that in a way where it's just like, okay, this is a feeling. This is an actual feeling that people are experiencing. And although I don't understand it and I've never experienced it, I can empathize in a way that, you know, I look in the mirror and I just don't see what everyone else sees, no matter how you feel about me. Um, so now I'm, I'm, I'm more open to that idea and I've become very accustomed to it because where I work and I just, I wish people would understand like, it's gonna be a process with a lot of people who are older um, because this is just not their life. This has never been their life. So it's going to take a minute. And, and, and be patient. We're trying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're trying. I mean, when I first experienced it at work, I mean, people were getting fired. Yeah. Point blank. So I think, um, the educational part is important. The listening part is important. Um, does everybody you know, and can you imagine, because um, this is a conversation I had in another podcast where, you know, the Spanish language right. is feminine and masculine. So, you know, how do you universally, you know, educate everybody that this is something, you know, when you go to Spain or, or a Spanish speaking country, then what? <laughs> I think it's I just like, had that conversation with my RA because her Spanish teacher 
was saying like, you know, in Spanish, there's feminine and masculine. So the way we see people is feminine and masculine. And my mm -hmm. RA rebuttaled with like, what about Latinx? Like that's a form of they. Latinx is a form of women and men. So she was just saying like, you know, you can refer to um, an individual as like Latinx to instead of just saying like a ya or a or a. Oh. Um, so that's something that I learned as well. Um, <laughs> but I understand in some countries that is just, it is what it is. I personally don't have the solution to how you change a language like that. Um, but I had to break it down to her, like, listen, this is an old Spanish person from a Spanish-speaking country. He has no idea what you're talking about. So <laughs> if you want to break it down to him, you're more than happy to, but you can't be upset with people because they don't have that frame or, or that mindset. You kind of have to educate. You have to be patient. You have to teach people. You have to be understanding like, okay, this person comes from Colombia. He's been saying masculine and feminine words all his life. He has no idea what a transgender student looks like or what that even resembles. So mm -hmm. now he has to figure out like, how can I go about this student without coming off disrespectful? You just have to work with it. Do you see a lot of um, resistance from professors? Some of them may have retired and left because of I don't I don't work with professors um unless I have to like if the student is not showing up to class I have to make sure that they show up to class um but I haven't had a professor like up and leave because they're not comfortable with that I think people have like the understanding that they're going into all women's college um with the exceptions of non-binary and um, transgender students. And if you're not comfortable with that, you know, I would suggest leave because like, it's not gonna change and we're not gonna re refuse a student who wants an education. Um, but I haven't seen any like professors like retaliate because of that. I'm gonna put a photo up and I think you could, we can still hear you, um, but I don't know if you can see it. Can you see it? Okay. So from 1883 to 1900, that was called, called the lost generation. Mm. And this I got from Wikipedia, they, they look different in many different um, uh, Google engines and other areas of psychology. Um, mm. I still haven't really identified which countries actually use this um, generation. Mm -hmm chart um from 1901 to 1927 the greatest generation i don't know but my grandfather was born in 1911 um so i guess he would fall into this category greatest mm -hmm. generation i definitely believe that the silent generation um 1928 to 1945 that would be my mother and my father um and probably your grandparents too probably uh, maybe baby boomers but um definitely the silent generation um i encourage everyone who's listening 
um, to go in and look at what these generations, the, ca the characteristics or the definitions of them are, because they're very interesting. Um, baby boomers, of course, 1946 to 1964. And I want people to look at not only the description and the summary of the de definition of these uh, generations, but what was happening in history in the United States during that time. So like, for instance, the baby boomers, we had the civil rights movement between baby boomers and Generation X. We had um, a war around that time, um, actually in both and in the millennials as well. We also had the civil rights movement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot going on. Um, Generation X is the pivotal moment for me, and I don't even know why they call it Generation X. Um, I don't. I haven't gotten that deep into it, but I'm definitely curious um, because they went from silent, greatest, lost, baby boomers um, to Generation X. Uh, 1965 to 1980. Uh, from 1981 to 1996, which I, in some cases is different. I don't know why, but that's the millennials. And the millennials are also called Generation Y. And then now you're saying you, your students are Generation Z? They're Generation Z. They were yeah. born in 1000. Okay. Yeah. And then we have the... At the end of COVID or beginning of COVID, we have Generation Alpha. Boo. So, I'm just joking. Huh? I'm just joking. Wait, what you said? I said boo. Oh, the, the COVID babies? Yeah, the COVID babies, trash. Oh my God, no. They're trash. So Generation, Generation Alpha, 2010s to 2020s, um, I will be very interesting. It would be very interesting to see what the new generation is called. What do you know? What the 2020 generation? I have no idea. I don't think they name them yet. Okay, they wait. Um, but I will say generation is it Z? Z? No, Z was, um, 1997. Generation Z is what I'm talking about right now. Okay. I will say that the pandemic ruined Generation Z. Ruined. And I, I say I that I would agree with that. I was I only say that because right now we are dealing with a lot of retention issues in this campus. Um because these kids don't know how to socialize. They don't come out to programs. They don't come out outside their room. They don't know what real life college life even looks like. And a lot of them spent their college years, even some of my RAs who are graduating, they spent their college years in their dorm doing virtual stuff. So I would always tell them like, when I went to SUNY Westbury, we had Thursday Thursdays. Every Thursday or every first Thursday of the semester, we would be outside in the courtyard 
everyone showed up to programs. Everyone showed up on campus. It was, you always had a roommate. Like everyone had, had to have a roommate. And when I visited my campus, I think about a year ago, they were telling me how no one has roommates anymore. No one shows up to programming. No one shows up to any events, um, which has affected sorority and fraternities um, because no, if you can't see the sorority or fraternity be outside, you know, it's trouble joining them. And a lot of these students, they were given, they were given um, a single room for their first year. And now they are changing the rules where once you're done with your first year, you now have to have a roommate. And every first year coming in is gonna start having their own single room. And then once they you know, go to the next level, they have to have a roommate. Um, so one of my biggest projects right now is actually doing a roommate selection project um, program. Okay. Um, because these kids don't know how to socialize and they are terrified to have a roommate. So that's one of my biggest things that I'm working on because I don't know what that is like. I don't know not to have a roommate. Everyone in college always had one. Um, so that's something that has been challenging for me to see these kids not only struggle with being social, like if you pay for college, networking is essential. Mm -hmm. Pretty much college is networking. That's what you're paying for. So if you lack that skill, you're pretty much paying for a degree that you can never use because you can't talk to anybody. Um, and this has resulted in a lot of the students having ESAs, which is emotional support animals. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of these students have an emotional support animal. And it's to the point where it's like, they'll spend more time with their animal than they'll do a human being. Um, so that has been my biggest struggle coming into this position where I have to teach these kids literally how to get out their room. Yeah, that's that's happened in Colombia also. Yeah. Um, Post-COVID, everybody wanted a single. Yeah. We have more doubles than singles, of course, um, which, which is very interesting because in the past, everybody always wanted a double, the fun party building. Right. You know, um, then then there was like the conservative engineering student who that's just who they are they're conservative engineering they don't want to party they just come there to do what they are supposed to do right um but you're right it's it's um scary you know working at a university for 32 years and you see the the different groups that come in and this one is very assertive in what yeah. they want um, they're very um, uh, demanding. Um, and at some point, we really, as parents, um, we really need to let our kids just, you know, do what they got to do for themselves and let them learn, you know, to handle it on their own, you know. Yes. But we, we do get a lot of parents calling, advocating for their student. But I think it's important, um, and I'm so glad and proud of you because you did all of this on your own. I, I cannot take any credit other than I put you in school and I paid for most of it and that's it. Like everything else, you did it on your own. And uh, if I wasn't there to support you 
in the sense of uh, emotional support where we're needed. You know, there was a time where <laughs> um, public announcement um, that you disappeared and I was concerned. But, you know, I think as parents, sometimes you just need to let the student learn on their own and how to handle their um, their life, you know? Because at the end, you know, you know what's best for you. I, I can't really determine that, you know? Only you know. There is truth to that. Um, I just, I think I've always, sorry, I'm just reading the comment. Yeah, that's Lulu, Lulu Shonda. She's a follower. Wow, I didn't realize that it was this difficult school. Yeah. Um, I've always been an independent person. So I've always just been like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do when I want to do it. I know I have to be safe. Um, so that's always been on my mind. Um, but the four years that I spent trying to figure out life and dealing with life and dealing with the punches and praying every day, trying to figure out what the hell I'm going to do and what what's the next move and why am I dealing with so much? Um, I think it's important that, the, yes, I know, yes, I had... Hold on. Hello? <laughs> She's funny. Lulu, Shanda, how are you? We'll just take a quick break. Don't forget to get Crystal Harley's ebook. You go to her website. You go to my website, you'll find it. Um, but if you guys can leave comments about which generation you're in, please go ahead and do so. Um, if you're playing this back, please leave a comment as well. And this is going to be recorded and into the Anchor, Spotify, Audible, Amazon, and all of those other platforms that Salty Coffee is in. She's actually uh, picking up. Oh, she's back. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Uh, yeah. You can continue. No, go ahead. You, you were talking about um, this generation and the singles and the doubles, and we were just kind of um, concluding that discussion about students today, like they're very demanding. And, and is your institution of work, do they support you guys in training, additional training on how to um, communicate with the students on what to say, how to say it, or they, they support you in just being yourself and having a realistic conversation with them about, you know, because ultimately when you go to college, right, and you live in the dorms, 
living in the dorms is part of the education that you're getting is right. what I've learned. Um, and you're right. It becomes about social networking, um, social uh, connections with other people, because that's what's, that's reality. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that you're going to not only be in your little community, you know, when you graduate, you, you have the option of leaving the country to get a, a job. And then you have to, you know, know those cultures and know the people and what best, what better way than to live with someone from another culture that you can actually learn from. I'm sorry, can you repeat that? <laughs> no, I was just saying that um, I'm great and lazy, but I'm a millennial and my mother is a baby boomer. Okay, now I was asking the, the listeners to tell us which uh, generation they're from and share with us. But um, do you want me to give you a couple of more minutes? Um, yes. Okay. We'll give you a couple of more minutes. Do you think there we, we need to do a part two? Um, a different topic? Not really. Um, I mean, we can. I'm more than happy to. Um, what did you think when I told you I started a podcast? What was your thoughts? <laughs> your facial expression is everything. I always tell people never look, never look at my face. Always just listen to what I have to say. Oh, okay. Um, oh, you know, my mind is just constantly thinking. <laughs> um. I didn't think like anything crazy. Like, okay. I watch a lot of T channels who are close to your age. So, like, it wasn't like something that was like foreign. Um, I think I was just happy that you were finding a hobby to do um, that you seem very interested in. And I'm all about promoting for people to do things that excite them and make them happy. So it wasn't like anything, it wasn't like anything um, like shocking. Like I wasn't just like, oh wow, like a podcast, are you sure? It was just like, okay, go ahead, do it. Like that's something that makes you happy. It sounds like a great idea. It'll occupy your time. Um, And it seems like something that you're passionate about. So, that was just my first thought. All right. So we are going to thank you, Amber, for closing out season four. Salty Coffee is going to continue the episodes on all of the other platforms with the exception of YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook. We will only be on Anchor for the remainder of this um, time. Um, I want to continue having conversations with Amber related to work and the Generation X with the Millennials, mostly because I think what we were talking about was people that you work with, um, you know, the different, did you have baby boomers? And But you have mentioned that most of the workers there are all in the Millennial yeah, they're pretty much millennial. 
Yeah. And I think um, I want to thank you. Thank you for um, saying yes to Salty Coffee. Mm -hmm. And um, you have mentioned that you have a couple of friends who are in the entrepreneurship world yep. and they make bags and they make all kinds of beautiful things. And let's promote them now. Um, so I do have a friend who he creates purses for women or men. They are unisex. So there's really no discrimination as to who can get the bag. Um, this is the company. I hope... Everyone can see Ajanti it. Yes, it's French. You can follow them on Instagram and look at his collection. He has a whole stock of different colored purses. And this is actually the purse itself. That's one of them? Yep. All black. It comes with the straps. They are removable. Um, so you can remove them and you can change the colors up. Um, it's actually like a very durable purse. I like good, it. good quality. Um, my friend Khalif does wigs. Um, so you can go to his website, which is the oh, Khalif. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because I just saw the most beautiful bag in purple. Hold on, hold on. Because I can actually show it here. Give me one second. Oh, what's going on? That's, this is the bag, right? Yes. This is the purple. I wonder why it doesn't change. Why it didn't change. I love that. They're very nice bags, um, very durable. And he created the whole concept and design of it, which is pretty impressive to me. And he has it in stock now. Um, so if you want a bag, they are pretty pricey, but it's going to last you longer than any purse that you ever purchased. Um, so it's worth the money. Um, and Khalif does have wigs that he's going to be starting up soon. Um, so this is his name, Khalif Mattel's collection. Hold on. Give me one second. Let me look it up. Any websites? Um, I think it's KhalifMatellisCollection.com, but you can follow him on Instagram. So the last name again? M-E-T-E-L-L-U-S. Oh, yeah. Definitely a website. Give me one second. I'll share that now. He's going to have more wigs and more um, bundles that you can purchase. Uh, but that's his little sister right there. <laughs> Nothing like a family member to support. Yeah. This is awesome. I think he named a wig after me, but I'm not sure. Um, you got Naomi, Monet, Naima, Nyla, Cassidy. Robin and Samantha. 
but he's gonna have more. So okay. I would look at his Instagram first because he might be dropping some things. Um, but definitely go purchase and he's one of my closest friends. So um, it will be, be very beneficial. So when um, both of your friends have time, tell them to email me and we can put the information on our website. Okay. I actually have to go. Okay. Thank you so much, Amber. No problem. Um, you have a good good time, and we'll do a second one whenever you're ready. Okay. Thank you again, and I love you. Bye. <laughs> I thought she was going to say I love you, too. She's like, bye. <laughs> um. So that was my youngest daughter, for those of you who just walked in. Um, she is an amazing uh, young person, millennial. And I'm so proud of her. But thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you for um, sharing this time with me. This is the last episode. <laughs> uh, this is the last episode for season four. I will continue on uh, Anchor FM, Spotify, and all the other podcast um, platforms. Um, and our website, please come to my website because that's where all of the information will be um, moving forward. Um, I am no longer part of Outside the Box. Um, I will not be on Stereo and I probably will not be on Wisdom either. But um, I would definitely be on Anchor. I'm working on some projects. So I need some time away from the regular social media, which is, uh, um, you know, YouTube, Facebook, and all that other stuff. But I definitely will be on Anchor, um, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible. It's a lot of them. Uh, let me see if I have the photo. But I'll show you right now. Thank you again for stopping by and I'll see you soon.